hey, Professor, I appreciate you coming over to my place this time. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Uh, how are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm still kind of kicking the crud, but my fever is gone at least, but my voice sounds pretty awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll stand over here. Mm-hmm. That's okay. I understand. Uh, although I, I brought you a, a little talisman here. That should help. Thanks. Uh, usually people bring chicken noodle soup, but this will work. Yeah. Well, chicken noodle soup is a, an ancient remedy, uh, but this is something protective. Uh, it'll help in not just this, but some other things. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, I guess this is your first time over here. Yeah, it's a, a nice place. A good mixture of different styles. Uh, that's a very interesting clock. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I found that in Guthrie. Took um, took some tracking down, but yeah, quite proud of that find. Looks pretty old. Yeah, it's definitely... Uh, last I checked was, you know, around the early, late 1800, early 1800, somewhere around there. So it's, mm. it's a pretty, pretty old clock. Hmm, very interesting. Yeah. Well, anyway, I appreciate you going to the OU campus ghost tour for me since I had the flu last week. Oh, of course, anytime. Always up to hear stories. And I was amazed at how many there were at the University of Oklahoma. Well, that's interesting. I'm quite surprised to hear that. So anyway, I guess let's get started. Hello, I'm Sam Saxon. I'm Professor Joff Deroot. And you're listening to Tales Unveiled, where we explore ghost stories and urban legends. This episode is brought to you by the Campus Ghosts of Norman, Oklahoma. No, not the actual ghosts themselves, although that would be really cool, but the book written by Jeff Provine, who suspiciously sounds a lot like Professor Jeff DeRoof now that I think about it. Anyway, buy the Campus Ghosts of Norman, Oklahoma, anywhere you buy books. Well, this tour began at nightfall, which was a good thematic touch. Uh, I was led by this fellow who's written a couple of different books about uh, stories here in Oklahoma. Uh, fairly pretentious guy, but he seems to know what he's doing. He seems to tackle it more journalistically than looking at the actual metaphysics behind what's going on. Well, I appreciate that. Well, um, of course, they uh, told a lot of the history of the university. And, of course, their most famous ghost, which is haunting their library. So we said that uh, Bazell Memorial Library was the uh, third library on campus. Uh, the first one and the second one had both been outgrown. Uh, but this one they've added on to so many times that uh, it, it's impossible to outgrow, especially with all the branch libraries around. Uh, they said that they uh, started with the uh, multi-structure southern building there in the late 1920s. 1950s added on an entire wing, and the 1980s added on an entire wing, and then uh, just finished the renovations of their uh, sub-sub-basement. Certainly quite growing. Yeah, and it's all different architectural styles. The The southern end is very gothic. Uh, the, they like to say that Frank Lloyd Wright uh, called it Cherokee Gothic, hmm. so which they're very proud of saying, although knowing Frank Lloyd Wright's style of architecture, that might not have been a compliment. <laughs> so, But it is a fitting thing. So, so many gargoyles and monsters and emblems hanging around outside. And then, of course, as you walk in, you know, see paintings of Milton and Dante and and get into this kind of pastoral realm on the, the first floor. So as you are coming into the library, you find peace. And then you transcend up the stairs to uh, 
veritable heaven there in the great reading room where there are angels uh, built into all of the uh, architecture and cherubs smiling down. There's quite a bit of symbolism in this library. Yeah, they built them well back in the 20s. Uh, um, but, of course, time progresses and things became more minimalist, thanks to Mr. Wright and others. Uh, so their next wing there in the 1950s is uh, a little bit more bland, but more spacious. Hmm. So what's this about the ghosts there? Well, in this oldest part, uh, they have what they call the decks. Uh, there are these seven floors, which is very complicated. They're, they're narrow, and uh, you can enter in on the what is the ground floor and come onto the third deck, so veritably the third floor. And then you go up two floors, and then you come out again on the second floor. So... Okay, yeah, that's kind of confusing. Yeah, yeah e easy to get lost. Um, so, which the legend on campus is that this uh, spirit that says to haunt these decks is a student who fell through the glass plates in the floor. Ooh. Yeah, so it's constructed that uh, a lot of steel and glass plates, which uh, some people say is due to trying to save electricity. They wanted to let light through a, a skylight. Uh, other people say it's, of course, you know, glass doesn't burn. And with the previous fires at the university, you... Uh, can protect the books by just not having anything to burn around them. Mm -hmm. The legend is that in the 1940s, 50s, or 60s, depending on who's telling the story, uh, there was a student who had just failed their midterm and were walking along kind of angrily, stomping a little bit harder than they should have on these glass plates, and one broke grave loose, and he or she fell through and broke his or her neck, now studying for all time. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was some... Uh, issue with that. They, they said that there was an interview uh, process in which they talked to as many librarians as they could, one of whom who had been working in periodicals, and uh, he and his uh, workmates there sat down to read every single issue of the OU Daily to see when this had happened, and there wasn't any record in the newspaper of it. Hmm. I guess that would explain why it's pretty vague on the day, because no one really knows if this even happened. Exactly. Which uh, some people say, you know, it could be a conspiracy with covers up and everything, or... It would be pretty bad for public image. Very true. Uh, and, of course, uh, newspapers were different in earlier days. You just didn't necessarily put in bad news. Mm. Um, or there's always the chance of a roaming spirit. So uh, one of those uh, spirits who go from place to place trying to find uh, somewhere to just reside for a little while. Which, they have lots of couches and plenty to read, so I don't see why not there. Yeah, well, the library can be a cozy place. Mm -hmm. So, and certainly has a vibe to it. Oh. Well, how would you describe that vibe? Uh, with the very narrow flooring, uh, the, the ceiling is right above your head, and it has all kinds of, of course, metal spikes sticking out and light bulbs glowing directly in front of your eyes, and uh, the shelves are very close to each other. It's, it's claustrophobic, and yet with the... Uh, open space around it. You, you always seem like there's something just around the corner. That sounds very interesting to check out. Yeah, I hi highly recommend taking a tour on campus there, uh, even if not the ghost tour, just to experience it. Mm. So what else did you learn on this ghost tour? Well, they, they recounted uh, individuals' experiences there going in and uh, saying they've seen eyes between the bookshelves and Around uh, corners, one uh, story said that a young lady had an entire shelf of books jump out at her. But most famous, of course, are the footsteps. Mm, footsteps. Yeah, they, 
uh, several people have claimed to hear footsteps walking up and uh, thinking it's someone else and taking a look and finding no one in the aisle. Hmm. Well, I guess it's a pretty big place, mm-hmm. right? And probably echoes. Possibly. You casually mentioned the, something about fires at OU happened numerous times. Anything resulting from that? Uh, indeed, they uh, have possibly residual, which, uh, to get into the stories first, I guess. In January of 1903, the night watchman was walking around between the semesters and saw University Hall, the only brick building on campus at the time, uh, with one of its windows lit up. And he thought it might be somebody up there, so he went to go check it out and instead found the room on fire. Hmm. So he uh, ran out and rang the emergency bell and roused people from sleep. They called the Norman Fire Department, who rushed out there with their horse and wagon, and they were looking to find a place to plug their hoses into when uh, they found out that the water system for Norman hadn't come that far out of town yet. Hmm. So a bit strange to think of in today. Yeah, that's not something you would... You know, there's all sorts of laws and things to prevent that nowadays. Yeah, so much probably because of this. Uh, they did try to form a bucket brigade, but it was uh, too little, far too late. And they lost uh, not only the entire building, but of course also all the book collections, 8,000 biological specimens, um, records, furniture, globes, everything. Was there people lost as well? Uh, no, actually. According to the newspapers, uh, there was only one injury, which was uh, President Boyd, the first president there at the university. Uh, he had collapsed from smoke inhalation due to trying to direct everyone and said it spent the next uh, three days in bed from weak lungs. Oh, okay. Well, a lot worse could have happened. Which it did in 1907. Oh, what happened in 1907? Well, they said that uh, in December, finals had just wrapped up at noon on Friday, and all the students were headed off to the train station downtown to be taken home. And there at the university, they were doing all the things you need to do for upkeep. Uh, they... Uh, uh, did all the dusting, uh, they oiled all the wood floors to make sure they don't dry up and crack, and they did painting, which up on the dome of this uh, second university hall, up on the dome of the second university hall, they had a crew up there uh, who were heating up a can of linseed oil as sealant after they had finished painting the big dome, and they had heated up a little fast on its gasoline furnace so that it spat, and then the furnace caught, and then the whole dome caught. Oh. Mm-hmm. They said you could see the flames from downtown Norman, which all the students uh, dropped their bags and ran to see what they could do to help the university. And about that time, the fire had eaten its way through those supports so that the dome fell through three stories and down into the basement. Wow. Indeed. Uh, especially as all those freshly oiled floors then, of course, caught. And it was clear it was going to be another complete loss of the building, but this time the students uh, decided they would rescue whatever they could. They smashed out windows and grabbed ladders and... Uh, started throwing out books and uh, biological specimens, furniture. Uh, several students got into the chemistry labs and uh, rescued the microscopes that would cost $1,000 back in uh, $1907. Oh, yeah. And uh, once again, completely burned down. And now, of course, we have Evans Hall, the third university hall, which is built out of fireproof brick and can't burn down. Oh, that's good. And they've had uh, a couple of uh, issues with phantoms appearing. Uh, there's apparently a young lady who uh, approaches people's desks and then vanishes from oh. time to time. Yeah. Uh, most famous is the legend on campus of the doors rattling, specifically on the north side. 
They say that it sounds like someone desperately trying to get them open. Hmm. Yeah, which, of course, then the legend is that those are the spirits of the students who perished in the fire. Uh, but once again, no one did. My, there were only two recorded injuries. Uh, one student had cut himself pretty bad climbing through a, a, a window and getting cut on glass. A second student was trying to catch a chair being thrown out of the third floor. I don't know why you'd want to do that. No, I believe I would have let that go. In parapsychology, we do discuss different types of entities. We have entities, which are these people who come back and visit us. And then, of course, we also have uh, residuals, these kind of impressions on reality that replay themselves over and over again on very emotional times. Mm -hmm. So uh, it could very well be that those are uh, not students, but the spirits of students uh, seeing what they can do to help the university. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Which apparently they do have several entities there at the university. Uh, uh, several professors come back. Most uh, famously, their professor of the organ, uh, Professor Mildred Andrews Bogus. Oh, what's this story? Uh, yeah, well, um, Mildred Andrews, as she was back then, uh, graduated as the class of 1936 and with her bachelor's in music and uh, really wanted to get her master's in music. But uh, there wasn't a master's program at the time. And she went to New York and got her master's and then, of course, came back and kind of made there be a master's program. Uh, That's the way to do it. Yeah. she was. Uh, uh, they said that she was a very uh, type A personality. Good for her. <laughs> she served at the university uh, from then in the 1930s until she retired in 1978. So, And even afterward, I uh, would return time and again, uh, giving recitals and performances. And when she passed away in the 1980s, her uh, estate left a good portion to start the uh, cathedral-style organ over in Catlett Hall. Okay, yeah, I've heard about that. Mm -hmm. So, through her efforts, she established the American Organ Institute at the university, which became kind of an organ repair shop for uh, North America, one of the only ones of its kind. So whenever these big organs and cathedrals break down, uh, they would call the university. Yeah, because there's only like, what, three or four of those around the whole world or something? Yeah, and it uh, looks like there might be one fewer if uh, the administration doesn't save it. Hmm, well, hopefully something will, good will come out of it. I, I hope so, too. Uh, especially since she does seem very dedicated to the university, and who knows what she might do if, if it's gone. Does she do anything right now? Yes. Uh, so Holmberg Hall, uh, which was renovated in 2000 as part of the Reynolds Performing Arts Center, uh, during that renovation, they, of course, took out all the instruments, and they said that when that happened, strange things started happening on the work site. Like, what sort of strange things? Uh, contractors said that their uh, tools would be in different places than when where they had left them before, uh, which, of course, people would say, oh, you know, it's a campus students had gotten on there. But Yeah, that's probably what I would say, too. Yeah, to be expected. But they had cameras set up to maintain security and make sure people weren't getting on site. And yet things move around. Hmm, that's really curious. Yeah, very strange. Um, and they said they would hear uh, sounds of high heels walking, they said that uh, power tools wouldn't work on site, but whenever they took them back to the shop, they'd work fine. Hmm. So that something didn't want it to happen. Hmm. Or someone. And well, eventually it did all get back put together, right? True. Uh, and they say that she's still there, however. Uh, they say that she slams doors on people while they're practicing or performing. Mm, that sounds a little bit rude. Well, they say she's still teaching. You, uh, If you're practicing along... 
uh, the store will slam and interrupt you, and of course you have to go back and practice again. Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, which uh, the paranormal aspect of that is, of course, whenever you're practicing, you leave the door closed, so you don't want to bother people in the hallway and vice versa. So the door would swing open and then slam shut. Oh, oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and then most famously, she makes appearances at uh, student recitals down in the main auditorium. Like, what kind of appearances? Oh, they say when you're on the stage and look up into the balcony, you can see this outline of a little matronly lady sitting there under the lights uh, watching you perform. Like, is she at the same spa or did move around or what's the story? Uh, it seems to be a similar place right there in the middle of the balcony. That is very creepy. Yeah. Wow. The, uh, they is said, it like a good luck thing too? Or uh, bad luck? Bad omen? People seem to have a very wide spectrum of responses. Um, the, the guide said that um, early on there had been a, a young lady who just started bawling saying that she had seen her and she was not comfortable with such a thing. Uh, and then, of course, there was a dance troupe who had performed there and, and later came on a tour. And when they heard that there was a ghost, uh, they started high-fiving because they had seen her. And, and they were very excited. <laughs> that sounds like they were having fun. Yeah, she sounds like uh, uh, quite a type A personality spirit. So mm. we'll see what comes of her. What other spirits did this tour guide tell you about? He said that the most haunted building on campus is actually Ellison Hall, the old hospital for campus. Uh, It was built uh, in about 1929-1930 and served as the hospital uh, until the 1970s when the new one across the street began. And afterward, it became offices for student government uh, who had a legend that down in the basement, uh, which was the old morgue, that uh, there would be these metal plates in the walls. Which, of course, where you would slide the bodies to. Yeah, you know, in the morgue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, keep them cool, no decay. But from time to time, someone would go down into the basement, and every single one of those iron plate doors would be standing open. So, what's the building now? Now it's offices for arts and sciences. Uh, they say that the basement's been remodeled and there are no metal plates, so they, they don't worry about that. But still, a lot of activity. The uh, most famous, of course, is the little boy roller skating around the third floor. What's this little boy do? Just play tricks or anything he just seems to be a little four-year-old boy Uh, they say that the motion sensor lights will flick on in the middle of the night uh, starting on one end of the building go all the way down the full hallway to the other and come back Uh, they say that people will have their offices all locked up you know student papers and don't want uh, people to get into confidential information but sometimes they'll come in and things will be scattered around their desk like somebody's been playing with it all night that's a little unsettling yeah but of course he's just a little boy which, of course, a wide variety. They say that uh, he mostly focuses his attention on that northeast conference room, which used to be one of the surgery wards, which, according to legend, is that he was a uh, kid out roller skating and hit by a car, taken inside, and I guess that's where he was taken to. Does the little boy have a name? They said that several paranormal investigation teams have been in there, and one suggested his name would be Robert. And then he corrected himself and said, no, he's Bobby. Hmm. I assume a search through Oklahoma death records might give a little bit of information. Hmm. Has this uh, tour guide done that research? Uh, He said he was still waiting on the historical society to uh, complete their digitization process, which, of course, is a lot of man hours. Yeah, that's about a lot of work, too. And in the meantime, evidently, there's no shortage of spirits there. They say that uh, paranormal investigation teams have come in and 
uh, heard other sounds, including an EVP of a nurse's voice, clear enough that sh- they could tell her Tennessee accent. Uh, they said that they uh, were able to communicate with one enough to tell that the spirit was uh, a female, uh, that it was looking for a nurse, and that she wasn't alone. Hmm. And on the south end of the building, he pointed out the second second floor stairwell there with its uh, light on continuously. He said he'd never been by when it was off, uh, but apparently it's motion sensors like the rest of the building. and Something there... Um, seem to keep it active. They, they say it's a trickster spirit that uh, tends to trip people coming down those stairs. So most people take the central or northern stairs. Hmm. Uh, and then famously down in the basement, a uh, couple of different teams have caught a similar voice on EVPs asking about keys. Have you seen the keys? I can't find my keys. That's kind of an odd thing to ask for. It's a rough way to spend eternity. A four-year-old is a bit unusual for a spirit. Is there anything perhaps more unusual than that? Well, we do have uh, Mex the dog. Mex the dog? Yes. So the University of Oklahoma's first mascot uh, was a little Boston Terrier called Mex. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, true story. They have his picture all over the internet. You can go check him out. Um, The story goes that he was picked up by a... uh, medic from an army patrol who uh, discovered this abandoned litter of puppies while they were out hunting Pancho Villa in the early 1900s. Uh, when he finished his tour, he brought his dog Mex with him to the University of Oklahoma, where he served as the medic for the football squad. Oh, a dog medic for the football team. Yeah, indeed. His main tasks were to uh, keep the snakes from... Um, popping up during the game he'd run up and down the field to, to bark at them and keep other stray dogs from wandering in oh so sounds like a very good boy yes uh, which is hard to imagine with today's uh, 480,000 person stadium yeah probably don't need a dog for that job uh, but reportedly he's still there uh, still as their good luck charm as the mascot he did seem to do such a good job keeping the football field clear that they gave him some additional ones they gave him a little sweater with an o on it and gave him a little red cap and taught him to bark every time there was a touchdown and to give howl every time there was a kick well that is very cool yeah and uh he had a personal bodyguard of uh, four students who would drive him to every game so that he could ensure that he was there this was after the disastrous drake university game in which uh, ou went up to iowa and was defeated by nearly three figures oh wow yeah, so from then point on, he of course went to all of these games through his bodyguard driving him there, and uh, OU only lost one game the next two seasons. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, not bad. When he passed away at the doggy age of 170, uh, Norman shut down in mourning. Uh, many of the businesses closed, all classes were canceled, and they had a 4,000-person funeral procession down Lindsay Avenue. Oh. Yeah, they, they marched him uh, directly onto Owen Field and buried him at the 50-yard line so that he could at least still come to all the home games. And does he? The guide said he's talked to numerous people who have claimed to uh, hear kicks and barks uh, of some dog during the game. Hmm. Which I can't imagine hearing anything. Yeah, exactly. And you're not allowed to bring dogs in there, right? Uh, I uh, Maybe a service dog or something. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, he had some other occasions, too. He said he'd talked to several players who claimed uh, they were just sitting on the bench dangling their fingers and could feel a dog come up and lick their fingers and you know, lick the sweat off. Hmm. 
and then a photographer had a story where uh, he would keep trying to take photos, and every time he looked away, he would feel a dog come up and lean against his leg. And so he'd look around and, of course, see nothing. Well, this sounds like quite the tour. How can people do this for themselves? Uh, through the Visitor Center website, um, visit.ou.edu, uh, should have a link there down at the bottom for the OU Ghost Tour. And we just got to the tip of the iceberg. There's numerous other tales we didn't talk about, uh, such as, of course, the exorcism. Oh, okay. That sounds quite interesting. So, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, do some more investigation on that, and, and maybe it would be a good episode for the show. All right. Well, I'm down to that. Well, I appreciate you coming over to my place to recap this ghost tour for me. Perhaps I'll have to do it myself one day. You should, yes, of course. Uh, but you should feel better first. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, thank you so much. You're very welcome, and stay safe. Unveiled is a production of the Show Starts Now Studios and is produced by Dennis Spielman. The voice of Sam Saxton is Dennis Spielman. The voice of Professor Jeff DeRoot is Jeff Provine. You want early access to new episodes from the series and others? Of course you do! Visit talesunveiled.com to find out how to become a patron supporter. This episode's advice comes from Mark Twain. Some people get an education without going to college. The rest get it after they get out. 